0: Assalamu alaikum, rahmatullah, he was barakatu. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, was salatu was salamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wasahbihi, wa, wa manwala. Kala ropi shahli, soderi, wa yasirli, amri wahlul wa octa temilisani, yafkahu kauli. Allahumma zidina ilma. <coughs> All praise and thanks is due to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdillah Salawatullah, he was salamu alaihi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time. Alhamdulillah in last week's lesson we read the Arabic of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik, hadith number 21. So inshaAllah bi ta'ala tonight we will be starting with the explanation of this hadith. And as I mentioned last week, this Hadith is, is quite a lengthy Hadith, so this Hadith will be explained over tonight's lesson as well as next week's lesson, be ta'ala. So this is the Hadith of Ka'b Ibn Malik, as we explained earlier, regarding the story of his absence from the Battle of Tabuk. And the Battle of Tabuk, it took place in the ninth year after Hijrah, when the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam heard that the Romans, who were then upon Christianity, were assembling to fight the Muslims. So the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam, he set out to face them. The Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam, he camped at Tabuk for 20 nights, but because he did not detect any scheming or any opponents meaning he did not see the Romans etc he returned back to Medina and this campaign the battle of Tabuk it occurred during the summer when the fruits were ripe the Munafiqun the hypocrites they prefer the life of this world over the life of the year after And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is something that is well known. It is something that is known. That the munafiqun, that they would prefer this life, they love this dunya, and they hate, and they show a great disregard for the year after. So the munafiqun, they lingered and were absent throughout the campaign meaning the battle of tabuk and taking solace in the shades and the dates for them the distance seemed too long the distance from medina to tabuk it seemed too long for them so what did they do they instead enjoyed the dates of the summer and they enjoyed laying and lazing around and we seek refuge with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but as for the sincere believers, those Muslims, those beloved Muslims to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the beloved slaves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they set out with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam this long distance, and the opportunity to harvest did not dampen their determination. This was a season of harvest, this was a season of to harvest the dates so that one can make a living. But this didn't affect the Muslims and they went out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, Ka'b ibn Malik ta'ala was a sincere Muslim, no doubt. He was part of the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa He was absent from the battle of Tabuk And he never had any excuse He said He had never been absent from any of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's battles So Kaab May Allah be pleased with him Participated in all the battles of the Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So he was amongst the fighters In the cause of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Except The Battle of Badr. Kab and some of, or some other companions, were absent because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam left Medina without anticipating combat. So now I'm going to spend a few moments explaining what made Kab and a few other companions, by Allah be pleased with him, not present at the Battle of Badr. So it was for this reason, my beloved brothers and sisters, that only about 310 people went with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They merely intended to seize the caravan of the Quraysh. That is, their camels loaded with goods coming from Syria to Mecca. And they would pass through the outskirts of Medina. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, he set out to seize the caravans because the people of Mecca had expelled Rasulullah and his companions from their homes and when they left Mecca to Medina, they left their homes and they left their families, and on top of all of this, they left their wealth. So when the Muhajireen, when they came into Medina. They never had a great deal of wealth. They never had homes. And they never had their families. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he heard about these caravans coming from the greater Syria. So he said, let us take these caravans. And he wasn't intending to have a full scale, jihad, a full scale, war. So hence the property are also spoils of of spoils of war for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and it was permissible for him to go out in order to seize the caravan. Rather than being an aggression from Rasulullah sallallahu and his companions, it was but a reclaim of some of the rights. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi he set out in the company of about 310 men with only 70 camels and two horses. They did not have any weapons, and their number was extremely small. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought them face to face, unexpectedly, with the enemies to bring his wish to occurrence. And this is the system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Almighty, the Sublime. That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala If he wants to do anything, then it will come into place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know, and we read this many times, many verses in the Quran, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does as he pleases. And this in itself was a lesson for the believers, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides... That the believers, the believing males and females, now is a time to go out and strive and fight in the path of Allah. Then this is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Sufyan at this stage, he was not a Muslim. So he was the leader of the caravans of the Quraysh. And he heard that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi had set out coming to seize the caravan. Therefore he changed his route moving towards the coastline and sent a distress cause or call of one to Makkah asking for reinforcements. So now Abu Sufyan as a non-Muslim at the time, he embraced Islam later on at Fathu Makkah. So he hears that the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is coming out. He hears that the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to seize the caravans. So what does he do? He changes the route and he goes towards the coastline. On top of that, he calls out, or he has a distress call to the Ahlu Makkah, the people of Makkah for reinforcements. And he says, come now to save the caravan. The Quraysh they gathered together with their elders, with their chiefs and their nobles, numbering between 900 and 1000 soldiers. They advanced As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described them from their houses. So Allah says in Surah Al-Anfal, In pride, show off and they turn people away from the cause of Allah. So whilst they were on their way, they heard the caravan had escaped. So they deliberated amongst themselves saying the caravan is safe. Why do we still need to fight? But Abu Jahl, he said, I swear by Allah, we will not go back until we reach Badr. We will camp there for three days, slaughter camels, drink alcohol and have a feast. And this was the Ada, this was the norm for the Jahiliyyah, for the (coughs) Quraysh. When they thought they had some sort of victory, what do they do? They tend to indulge in alcohol, they tend to feast, they tend to slaughter camels. And this we find in today's time as well. If we look at the Kuffar, we look at the enemies of Islam. That when they supposedly has or they have some sort of victory, what do they do afterwards? They tend to celebrate, they tend to indulge in alcohol, they tend to indulge in music, all things that is haram, and this is contrary to that of the Muslim. The Muslim when he is victorious, when he has achieved something great in life, what does he do? He thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He puts his head down onto the ground in sujood. And he praises and he thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the success that Allah has granted him. So the Arabs will hear about us and they will revere us. This is what Abu Jahal is saying. So they said out of sheer arrogance, pride and self-amazement. But all praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Little but did the Arabs know that they would be defeated. Little did they know that a handful of Muslims under the leadership of Muhammad ibn Abdullah rahmatun alamin, salawatullahi wa salamuhu will attack them And little did they know that the Muslims will be victorious. The Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that was on the 17th day during the month of Ramadan in the second year of the Hijrah. The armies met and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Malaika. And remember when your Lord inspired the angels "Anni That indeed I am with you. الَّذِينَ So keep firm those who have believed. سَأُلْقِي فِي قُلُوبِ الَّذِينَ I will cast terror in the hearts of those who disbelieve. الرُّعْبَ فَوْقَ الْأَعْنَاقِ وَاضْرِبُوا مِنْهُمْ كُلَّ بَنَانِ So strike them over their necks and smite over their fingers and toes. So my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, consider the strengthening in this verse for the believers. And cast terror in the hearts of the disbelievers. The help was so near in the circumstance and terror يعني, in the mind of the enemies of Islam. And this also brings me to a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where he was promised certain things or he was given certain qualities that was not given to anyone else. From the time of Adam alayhi salam, right until the last person to walk on the face of the earth. And one of these blessings that Allah gave him is that the enemies of Islam, they were about, or they would be about two months' journey away from the Muslims, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would cast fear in their hearts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He greatly kept the believers firm. And he cast a terror into the hearts of those who disbelieved. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal. He says, So strike them over their necks and smite over all their fingers and toes. in Suratul Al-Anfal. And the word strike here, it means any part of their bodies. You can strike them. The matter is made easy for you. So the Muslims, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, and all praise belong to Allah, they thrashed them, they beat them, they killed 70 of them and they captured another 70 of their men. Those killed were not the ordinary people. All were their best and bigwigs. 24 amongst them were taken and dropped into the stone wall of Badr. They were hauled as immobilized Corpses. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he stood over the wall and he said to them, O son of so and so, calling them with their names and their father's names, have you found what your Lord has promised as true? For indeed I have found what my Lord has promised me as the truth. The companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger, how do you address a people who have become lifeless? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, By Allah, you do not hear me more than they do, but they cannot reply because they were dead. And this battle, yani the battle of Badr, all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, was a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is incumbent on us to give thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every time that we mention and we speak about this battle. A hadith comes to mind the night before the Battle of Badr took place. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this dua he says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, if you do not grant this small group of us victory at this battle, then this religion of Islam might not exist. And whilst Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is making this dua, he's raising his hands to the Sama and he's rida, his top layer of his shawl basically falls off his shoulders and Abu Bakr radiyallahu an he picks up the shawl of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and he places it back on the shoulders of the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regards to the battle of badr he says that this is the day of the criterion yani between right and wrong, the day when the two forces met, yani at the battle of Badr, Suratul Anfa. And on this day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He greatly showed the distinction between the truth and the falsehood. Consider the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, on the day of the battle of Badr, He aided a little above 300 men, against a thousand of the kuffar. And remember that this kuffar, they were better equipped. They were stronger. They had better (coughs) weaponry. They had better horses. They had better camels. But who can help? Or who can grant victory when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you victory? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَلَقَدْ اللَّهُ بِبَدْرِ وَأَنْتُمْ فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ And Allah has already made you victorious at Badr when you were a weak little force. So fear Allah much. Be God conscious. Abstain يعني, from all kinds of sins, my beloved brothers and sisters, and evil deeds which He has forbidden, and love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Perform good deeds. Perform all kinds of good deeds, which Allah has ordained. تَشْكُرُونَ So that you may be grateful. But after the Muslims, right? so now we're moving away, from this part of the Battle of Badr. And the reason why I explain this, to show you, and this was the way of the ulama, and Sheikh Huthaymin rahimahullah ta'ala as well, that when explaining a hadith, and I mentioned this before, just to recap on this point, that when we explain a hadith, we draw whatever benefits, can be taken from this hadith, and if it means that we need to spend, and explain some time with history, then we will do this as well, and this is the beauty of teaching hadith. This is the beauty of teaching hadith as well as tafsir. And these two sciences in Islam, they basically cover all other sciences. So for example, you sitting in a tafsir lesson, and a mas'ala of fiqh comes up, so they will explain fiqh. A mas'ala of aqidah comes up, they explain aqidah. Speaking about a battle, they will explain the battle, history. And like that with hadith as well. Some hadith, they explain certain tafsir, so you will be doing the science of tafsir. Then you will be doing the science of hadith itself. And a mas'ala of fiqh, a mas'ala of tawheed, whatever it might be. And this is one of the main reasons as well why I chose to teach the book Riyadu Salihin. So, after the Muslims triumphed over Makkah, meaning after Fathu Makkah, Setting out during the conquest with 12,000 men. They became fascinated with that when they faced the tribes of Hawazin and Thaqif. So they said, we can never be defeated today because of our number. But they were defeated by 3,500 men. They defeated an army of 12,000 strong men under the leadership of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But because they were fascinated by the large number, they said, we can never be defeated today because of our number. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, He showed them that the large number would not benefit them as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فلم تهني عنكم شيئاً وضاقت عليهم الأرض بما رحبت ثم وليتم مدبرين. الله سبحانه وتعالى says that indeed Allah has granted you victory on many battlefields and on the day of Hunain when you rejoiced at your great number but it availed you not. It availed you nothing and the earth is as vast as it is and was straightened for you, then you turned your back in flight. Take a look at the battle of Badr. Allah looked at them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He granted them victory, not because of their numbers, but because of how they believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This battle became a source of all kinds of goodness. Even when Hatib May Allah be pleased with him wrote a letter to the people of Makkah informing them that the Prophet was preparing for the conquest of Makkah Allah told his Prophet about it Hatib, may Allah be pleased with him had sent a letter through a woman but the Prophet peace be upon him was informed through revelation So he sent Ali ibn Abi Talib may Allah be pleased with him together with another person and they met her at the garden. They apprehended her and asked about, and asked her, "Where is the letter?" She replied, "There is no letter with me." Then they repeated, "This where is the letter by Allah? We are not telling lies, and we are not told a lie. Where is the letter? You'd rather brought it out, or yani you'd rather show us, or we will search you." When she noticed that they were serious, she brought it out, and it was from Hatib. So they Seized the letter. All praise belongs to Allah. That he did not get to the Quraysh, and this was a great favor from Allah on the Muslims. And Hatib, because what he feared did not happen in the end, out of Allah's favor. So when they brought the letter to the Prophet he asked Hatib, "What is this letter?" But Hatib explained. Thereupon Umar radiyallahu anhi said. Permit me to cut off the neck of this hypocrite. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he reprimanded Umar radiAllahu anhu and he said, he had participated in the battle of Badr. You don't know, perhaps Allah had looked at the people of Badr and said, do whatever you like, for indeed I have forgiven you. And Hatib was forgiven because, and the reason why Sheikh Uthaymin brings this to show us the importance of those that participated in the Battle of Badr. The point here, Sheikh Muhammad Sadiq, he says that the point here is that Ka'b ibn Malik was absent from this battle, yani the battle. However, this was not a deliberate excuse because the Prophet did not intend battle, but he only went. After the caravan, but Allah brought him face to face unexpectedly with the enemies of Islam. And it was a blessed battle, and all praise belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. So, Ka'b ibn Malik, he then mentioned his oath of allegiance to Rasulullah on the night of Aqaba at Mina when they, the Ansar, pledged allegiance to Rasulullah. And Kaab said, I do not wish that any other feat should be in its stead, not even Badr. And that Yani is to say, the pledge on the night of Aqaba was more beloved to him than the battle of Badr, because it was a very great pledge. But he said that Badr was more frequently discussed amongst the people than it. Yani meaning than the pledge or even more because this battle was famous, unlike the pledge. In any case, he, may Allah be pleased with him, consoles himself with the fact that he did not, or the fact that if he had misbudded, he was present at the pledge of Aqaba. May Allah be pleased with Kaab Iman Malik and all of the companions of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Kaab, he continues, and he said, I never had better means and more favorable circumstances Than at the time of this expedition of Tabuk. That is. He was physically strong. And in a favorable condition. In fact during this expedition. He had two beasts. Of ride which he had never had. In previous battles. So Kaab also. He says that. May Allah be pleased with him. Initially prepared and equipped himself for. This battle. It was. His practice whenever the Prophet, peace be upon him, was preparing for a campaign to feign something else. He would show the opposite, his actual plan. And that is out of his wisdom and experience regarding wars. Because if he had exposed his direction, the enemy would get aware and they would know information of the Muslims. So the enemy may even change its own plans. So for instance... If he intends advancing southwards, he would move in the northern direction. Or if he wanted to go eastwards, he would pretend, pretend that he would go westwards. Right? And this also reminds us of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where he said that indeed war or war is deception, meaning that you will deceive your enemies. You're not going to show your enemies what you are upon you're not going to show your enemies what your strengths are you're not going to show your enemies in what direction you go and the Tabuk expedition was an exception muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he explained the direction and strategy to his companions and that as well was for certain reasons as Sheikh Hussain, he explains and he says that firstly it was during intense heat when the fruits had ripened and during such circumstances the minds are instinctively disposed to laziness and comfort. Point number two. The distance was extremely long, long from Medina to Tabuk and it involved long rides, sandstorms, Thirst and the scorching sun, as we mentioned, it was during the summer months. And thirdly, the enemy was extremely large, the Romans. So according to the report that reached Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they had raised a huge army. Therefore he announced and publicized the plans he was heading for Tabuk to face a large army in such an instance. Location in order for the people to get prepared. So the Muslims went out with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. No one lingered behind except those who Allah disgraced with hypocrisy and three other men amongst the believers. So who stayed behind? The munafiqoon, they stayed behind. They are on one side. And then just three men of the Muslims that were able to go fight, they also stayed behind. They were among the believers. They were not part of the munafiqun, And they were Ka'b ibn Malik who narrates this hadith. Murara bin, Rab, bin Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah. May Allah be pleased with him. These three men, they were sincere believers who remained behind for a matter Allah subhanahu wa taala desired. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, it is through the infinite mercy of Allah subhanahu wa taala and through Allah subhanahu wa taala's will that these three believers, Kab, Murara, and Hilal, that they stayed behind. As for the others who lingered, they were the munafiqun. They were immersed in their nifaq, in the hypocrisy. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us success and to never make us of those who have hypocrisy. Therefore the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, departed with his companions and they were many in the direction of Tabuk until he camped there. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not decree a battle between him and his enemies. In fact, he remained there for 20 days, and left without any hostility. So Ka'b ibn Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, said the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or Ka'b ibn Malik Afwan, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger, together with the Muslims, got prepared and they left Medina. As for him, may Allah be pleased with him, he lagged behind and every morning, he would prepare his camel and say, I will soon join them. But he didn't do anything. He did this every day until time passed, and he could not join them. So this also contains proof that if a person does not hasten, this is another important lesson, if a person does not hasten to perform righteous deeds, he may be deprived of it after all, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says, "وَتَمَّتْ كَلِمَةُ رَبِّ صِدْقَةً وَعَدْلَ لَا مُبَدِّلَ لِكَلِمَاتِهِ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that, and indeed we shall, or we shall turn their hearts and their eyes away from guidance. As they refuse to believe they in for the first time. And we shall leave them in their trespass and to wonder blindly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, fastabiqul khayrat." Hasten to good. And this is a lesson for all of us. This is a lesson for myself and yourselves. That whenever there is something good happening, And it is obviously good and in conformity with the Quran and the Sunnah. Then we should be of the first to try and involve ourselves in these missions. There's a cooking scheme at the masjid. It's time to assist the poor. It's time to give some money to the masjid. Then we should be of the first that goes out and do it. Don't wait for this friend and that friend. Don't wait for Fulan and Allan. That no, if we're a group, we're only going to go, otherwise, uh, you know what, I'm not going to go. No. If it means you're going to go assist alone, then go and help Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's cause. Because this is only a benefit for yourselves. This is only a benefit for ourselves. That on the day of Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when, and may He make us of those that we get our book in our right hand. What an amazing Day this will be. And then you will see when Allah says, Read your book. You will see that on this day, on such such a day, such and such a year, I went to the masjid, I assisted in this part, I helped this organization, I helped that poor person, I attended this class, I fasted and I did my sunan, fasting, my sunan salah. Hasten to good. And This is extremely important. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those. Secondly, may we inculcate this into our children. That we help the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if an individual realizes the truth, but does not accept it on first consideration, it may elude him and he will be deprived of it. And we seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's refuge. Likewise, if the individual is not patient with the first stroke of a trial, he may be deprived of its reward, as the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned. And he says that patience is only at the first strike of grief. Therefore, it is wajib upon us, my beloved brothers and sisters, to always hasten to do righteous deeds, to not delay because otherwise the days will pass, And you'll become weak and you'll become lazy. we will become overpowered by shaitan and evil desires. So here we see that Ka'ab ibn Malik an, May Allah be pleased with him was a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was an abid. He was a companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa but he procrastinated. He said, I will leave tomorrow. I will leave later. But the matter dragged on, and he never left. He said that he felt sad whenever he entered the marketplace of Medina. But Medina was without Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He never saw the likes of Abu Bakr, of Umar, of Uthman, of Ali. He never saw any of the foremost amongst the Muhajirun. And he never saw the Ansar. He would only find men deep in hypocrisy. Prevented by his engrossment in hypocrisy from going out or excused persons. Exempted by Allah. Then he would reprimand himself. Why is nobody lingering behind in Medina except those Munafiqun and except those who have a shari'i reason and then me. However, the messenger of Allah did not mention or ask him until he about him until he reached Tabuk. Whilst he sat in the midst of the companion, companions, he inquired and he asked, Where is Ka'b ibn Malik? The Prophet, peace be upon him, he now is looking for Ka'b. A man from the Salama tribe spoke ill of him, but Mu'ad ibn Jabal, may Allah be pleased with him. He defended Ka'b, however, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he kept silent. He did not give any response, neither to the individual who spoke ill of Kaab nor did he speak in the defense of Ka'b ibn Malik. So, while still in that state, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he saw a man in white approaching on the horizon from a far distance and said, Let it be Abu Khaythama al-Ansari. And it was Abu Khaythama. This is either from the Prophet ﷺ's gift of guided observation or from his strong sight. Undoubtedly he is the best of mankind in sight. Sallallahu He was the best in hearing. And he was the best in all aspects of his life. May Allah be pleased with him. So similarly, the Prophet ﷺ, he was favoured with great strength. He was extremely strong, he was extremely agile. وسلم, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower the Prophet ﷺ with blessings. So Abu Khaythamah was the person who gave out a sa'ah. And the size, a measure of dates in charity, when the Prophet urged the people to give donations. And following that the people began to give each according to their ability. When a man came with something plenteous, the hypocrites would despise, and they would say, Look at the show off. His lavish is not to seek Allah's face, but if a poor person comes, they would mock and they would say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need a sa'a, And sometimes my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we find this in our society today as well. We're not saying that these people, they are the munafiqun, but sometimes when someone offers a lot, then you'd find comments. Oh, he's just trying to show off. When someone offers a little, can't he give a bit more? And, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah At-Tawbah regarding this type of attitude and regarding the munafiqun allatheena yalmizoonah they are those who defame al-mutawieen min al-mu'mineen that they are those who defame such of the believers fis-sadaqat wal-ladheena la yajiduna illa juhdahum fiyaskharoon minhum سَخِيرَ اللَّهُ مِنْهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Those who defame such of the believers who give charity in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala voluntarily and such who could not find to give charity in Allah's cause except what is available to them. So never ever mock if someone gives a little, alhamdulillah. Someone gives a lot, alhamdulillah. And that is whenever they give just what they have, they say Allah is not in need of your sa'ah. This was the munafikun, the hypocrites. They were so wicked towards the Muslims that any opportunity that they had to disgrace and dishonor the believing males and females, they would do this. They would despise the believers. They would make them feel so bad. But know that a true believer, a believer that believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that whenever the munafiqun, or whenever the enemies of Islam, when they mock you, when they speak bad, this does not affect the believer. So when the munafiqun in our times, when they see the people of goodness and call us to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they see the people enjoining good and forbidding evil, then they insult them. This is a bad quality as well. Then you will hear people saying that, look at these people, they are the Puritans. They are the people making things difficult for the ummah. They are ultra-conservatives. They are old fashions. They are the mutawas. They are the Wahhabis. They are the Salafists. When someone practices his religion, when someone is enjoying what is good and forbidding evil, then they get all these type of names. And like we mentioned, this was the Munafikun in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So for someone to say this in our times, He's adopted that quality. We're not saying he's a munafiq. We're not saying he's a hypocrite. But he's showing that type of qualities. May Allah protect us. And all that, Yani that have been inherited from the hypocrites of the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi So we do not say that, or we do not speak, we don't have hypocrites. We certainly have them and some people have their traits. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, ta'ala in his book al Salikin he mentioned many signs of the munafiqun in the first volume which one, which are all also explained in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you find an individual who whenever people talk about people of goodness in his presence he would say this person is rigid and this person is a puritan, etc. Whenever he sees a righteous person giving donations, just according to his ability, then he would say this person is a miser, Allah is not in need of his charity. If you see a man despising the believers everywhere, then you should know that he has some qualities of the munafiqun, and we seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. So those who defame such of the believers who give charity in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's cause and such who could not find to give charity except what is available to them. So here we benefit two great lessons from this hadith so far. The first lesson being, it is not proper for the individual to delay carrying on righteous deeds and we touched on this earlier. He should advance and not be slack or lethargic. Sheikh Uthaymin says that I remember a hadith in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, said concerning those who come to the mosque early but would rather sit at the back rows instead of the first rows. A people will continue to stand behind until Allah makes them to be backward. If a person gets himself accustomed to lagging behind, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will draw him back consequently, therefore always hasten. To do righteous deeds, as Allah says, خَيْرَاتِ Hasten to do good deeds. The second lesson, the munafiqun will always despise the believers. If the Muslims give a lot of charity, as we mentioned, then they would say, these are pretenders, and in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do we seek refuge. The messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he even said, fear jahannam fear the hellfire even if it were with a shik of a date fruit and this is a half a date Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ يَرَهُ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ يَرَهُ so whoever does good equal to the weight of an atom or a small ant he shall see it and so whosoever does evil equal to the weight of an atom or a small ant he shall see this as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from all imperfections. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most exalted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, He will never ever let any deed go wasted, whether it's big or small. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he explains and he says, may Allah be pleased with him that when it reached him that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was returning from the expedition, he started contemplating what he will tell Rasulullah when he comes back. He thought of devising an excuse, or even if it is a lie, so that the Prophet sallallahu may accept his excuse. He consulted with the nobles of his clan what they would suggest, but he, Ka'b, said that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam arrived, all those false thoughts died out, and he rather explained the truth to the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he enters Medina and he goes into Masjidun Nabawi. And this was the routine and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that when you would enter his city, you would observe some forms of prayer in the masjid. And this is the same order given by Jabir radiyallahu an. So the Prophet sallallahu he entered the mosque, he observed the prayers after which he sat down to listen to the people. Then those who stayed behind without any excuse amongst the hypocrites came to him and started taking an oath, giving the excuses. The Prophet peace be upon him would accept their pledges and ask forgiveness for them even though that would not benefit them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says in Surah Tawbah That when you, O Muhammad, ask forgiveness for them, the munafiqun, Or do not ask for them Even if you ask 70 times for their forgiveness Allah will not forgive them So Kaab said I decided to be truthful <coughs> With the Prophet Sallallahu And tell them the truth So I entered the mosque and greeted him But he gave me an angry smile that is of someone that was not pleased with me. Then he said, come forward. When I moved closer to him, sallallahu he said, what kept you back? Then the Prophet, answered. or then he answered and he said, O Messenger of Allah, I did not remain behind for any valid excuse and I've never possessed two camels at the time or at a time before this battle. If I were to sit with one of the kings of this world, I will certainly save myself from him with an excuse. Meaning, if I was seated with anyone else besides Rasulullah, I would have made up excuse. However, I do not want to make a speech to you today for which you will be pleased with me and Allah soon becomes annoyed with me. And this was the way of the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is his iman. So he said, I cannot tell you a lie, and even if I tell you a lie and you are pleased with me today, Allah will soon be annoyed with me. So therefore Rasulullah, he told the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, the truth, and he postponed his matter. This contains some benefits. And the first point of benefit is, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, free from all imperfections, may favor a servant and protect him from committing a sin because he knows the servant has a good intention. Ka'b ibn Malik initially thought of fabricating a lie, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mended his heart and removed such from it, and he decided to be truthful to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Secondly, it is necessary for the individual to firstly proceed to the masjid, to observe two units of prayer before entering his home, because such was the usual practice of Rasulullah s.a.w. Jabir An Arrived, or this is a narration of Jabir that he arrived at Medina and the Prophet had arrived before him. So he went to Allah's Messenger who ordered him to enter the masjid and perform two raka'ats of prayer. I don't think that people, except a few, observe the Sunnah today. And this we find that we don't, I don't find a lot of people, or this is what Sheikh Huthaymin is saying, that I don't find a lot of people that observes the Sunnah except a few, and that is unfortunate due to people's ignorance or. Maybe people even know this hadith, but they just are oblivious of this sunnah. Thirdly, Ka'b ibn Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, was good at polemics and eloquence. But because of his piety and fear of Allah, he did not lie to Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. Fourthly, an angry person may smile. However, if someone asks, how do I know whether the particular smile is out of pleasure or displeasure, we say... This will be known depending on the context and also you can maybe see his face change in countenance and Allah knows best. Fifthly, it is permissible for an individual to greet another person who is seated while still standing owing to the fact that Kaab gave greetings of salam while standing and the Prophet wasallam he said, come in. The sixth point, conversation from close distance is more effective than from being far apart. And seventhly, Kaab Iman Madik is perfect certainty of faith. May Allah be pleased with him. When he said, I could not give an excuse. This shows Iman that sometimes you did something wrong and you just say, you know what? I don't have any excuse. This is what I did and I'm sorry. Because you could have lied, but because of your iman and your belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah makes it such that it's so difficult for a believer to lie. The eighth point, that Allah certainly knows the open and the hidden. Ka'ab feared that Allah will hear his speech with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this reminds us of the story of, of a woman, disputing woman, who came to Rasulullah wasallam complaining about her husband, who had said to her that, you are like my mother's back. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal? The first verse of surah Mujadalah, the start of the 28th Jews, Qadis Allah. And Allah says that indeed Allah has heard the statement of she that disputed with you, O Muhammad, concerning her husband and complained to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has heard the argument between both of you, for indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-year, the all seer. Ka'b said he came to Rasulullah sallallahu wa and told him the truth. He informed him that he had no excuse, physical or financial. Rather he had never had two camels during an expedition like he had for the expedition of Tabuk. So thereupon the Prophet sallallahu wasallam said, As for this man, he has spoken the truth. So it suffices as a thing of joy for Kaab that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam praised him to be truthful. He said, As for this man, he has spoken the truth. So get up and wait until Allah rules regarding you. The man left. Submitting to the command of Allah, the mighty, the sublime. Believing in him and that whatever Allah wishes will be and whatever he does not wish cannot happen. So afterwards, some of the clansmen of Banu Salama, or Salama Afwan, they met him and they started persuading him to retract his confession. They said, you have never committed a sin before. That is to say that you have never lingered behind Allah's messenger. It would suffice that Allah's messenger seeks forgiveness for you. If he does that, Allah will forgive you. Go back and disclaim your statement. Tell him that I have an excuse. And obviously Ka'b he did not do this. So here also, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, and this is the last point before we end off, that sometimes... People might encourage us to do something wrong. Or people, they might encourage us and they might tell us, you know what, people don't actually know what you are doing. So go to them and make up an excuse. But if we are truly people from Iman, then we will follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this basically brings us to half of the hadith. And bi ta'ala, next week in our lesson we will complete the Remaining parts of the hadith was sallallahu alayhi wa sallamuhammad wa wa sallamuhammad wa 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 alayhi wa sallamuhammad wa